The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners like you. Go to www.patreon.com slash movie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain our goal of keeping this show independent and free of advertising. Now I want to take just a moment and thank Kevin Beaches, Jonathan Lee, Maddie Feck, Brian Alford, and Scott Lamond for becoming supporters of How Is This Movie. You guys all rock. Hello everyone and welcome to How Is This Movie. My name is Dana Buckler and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Now before we get started, I'm pleased to announce the lineup for our first round of exclusive episodes that will be made available to all of our Patreon supporters. Starting in June, if you pledge as little as a dollar a month to this show, you will be able to listen to these bonus episodes, along with getting early access to all the main episodes of How Is This Movie. For the month of June, I will be recording exclusive episodes of the following films and franchises. Goodfellas, Rocky, Shaun of the Dead, and the Mad Max franchise. The link to become a Patreon donor is in the show notes of this episode. Thank you in advance. My guest today is Patrick Bromley, founder and host of one of my all-time favorite podcasts, F This Movie, a podcast that I have been a loyal listener of for the past five years. Patrick's show served as one of the main inspirations for me launching my own podcast, and I can clearly remember reaching out to him back in 2013 and asking him if he would be a guest on this new show I was starting. Now, to Patrick's credit, he was very kind and wrote me back immediately and said yes. Well, as most of you know, the launch of this podcast got off to a pretty rocky start, with me not only changing the format of the show, but also going through a number of different co-hosts before finally finding my groove as a solo host around May of 2014. It would be another two years before I would once again ask Patrick to join me to chat all things F This Movie and more. Now, I need to point out that in the past two years, I never stopped listening to Patrick's show. In fact, I slowly began to whittle down the film review podcast that I listened to, but not F This Movie. What I love about Patrick's show, aside from the always engaging topics, is the mannerisms that both he and his rotating panel of co-hosts bring to every show. And it's how they choose to handle films that they're not really fond of that always sticks with me. It's so easy for someone to trash a film these days and say, oh, that sucks, or you're an idiot if you like that film. But what Patrick and company do is refreshingly different, oftentimes expertly explaining the issues they have with a film with a careful consideration and understanding that many people put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the films that they are reviewing. In my opinion, proper film criticism in itself is an art and not something that everyone can do. Patrick has been honing his skills for the better part of 15 years, and the proof is in his outstanding show. Now let's talk to Patrick. And I am pleased to welcome one of my podcasting heroes to How Is This Movie, the host of F This Movie, Patrick Bromley. How are you today, sir? I am great. Thank you very, very much for having me. You've always been uh, very good to us at F This Movie, and I really appreciate it. Well, it's, it's always been well-deserved, believe me. I, I just want to tell you that. So I, I, I wanted to have you on the show because your podcast is one of the first ones I discovered. It's one that I've been a loyal listener to for, I guess we're talking a little over five years now. And I want to know where it came from, where it started. So let's sort of go back to the days before F This Movie. And let me ask you this. At what point did you sort of discover or realize that movies were going to play a pivotal role in your life and it was something that you were going to have a lifelong passion for? Goodness. I wish I had like a uh, a definitive point where I can remember, you know, the first movie that really hooked me or the the moment at which I realized, okay, this is something that I love. And I don't know what that was. I just know that Truly, as far back as I can remember, I've always just been obsessed, drawn to movies in whatever capacity, whether it was going to my local library as a kid, a really young kid, 
and only checking out books about movies or building my first cassette collection, not really listening to any music, but buying only uh, movie soundtracks or reading the novelizations of movies or studying the TV guide. And so for the longest time, you know, I just loved movies and wasn't necessarily thinking about how they would sh- how they would play a role in my life. Um, I think, you know, early on, I think I wanted to become an actor because as a kid, that's what you see, you know, well, I, I see the people that are in the movies. So I just want to do that. Um, and then I, as I got older and I started to understand more of the process, I think I gradually started shifted towards shifting towards um, wanting to be on the creative side. Uh, whether, you know, it'd be screenwriter or director or whatever. Um, and I spent a, a very short stint in film school and realized, I don't know if it, if it just wasn't for me or I think, you know, um, there's another podcast that I listen to regularly called The Movie Crypt and it's hosted by Adam Green and Joe Lynch, two horror filmmakers. And they always talk about advice that they give to would-be filmmakers and they say, you know, is there anything else um, that you want to do? You know, do you have a fallback? And if they say, well, yeah, my fallback is, you know, I'm going to be a high school teacher. Their response is always, well, then do that uh, because this job is so difficult. You have to you have to only be able to do this. You know, if you can't be a filmmaker, you would just die. And I didn't have that. I've, I've had the love of movies my whole life, but I didn't have that burning. I can only do this. There is no failure, you know, um, and yet I still was just obsessed with movies and around them all the time. And so that was when I, I, I had read criticism my whole life. I was, a, you know, I would read Roger Ebert religiously every Friday morning. I would wake up as early as I could and take out his paper. And, and luckily he was the critic for my local paper and read all of his reviews. And so it was probably in the early 2000s, I would say, that my then girlfriend, now wife, bought me this purple spiral notebook. And it was just this little gesture. And she said, uh, here, start writing reviews in this notebook. And they weren't for any purpose. They weren't going to be published anywhere. It was really just to kind of practice. And so I started doing that. Anytime I would see a movie, I would write a review. And then really just throughout the 2000s, whether it was writing for various websites or um, and then that kind of leads us up to getting into the podcasting side, you know, so I spent, you know, a lot of the 2000s kind of honing the craft of articulating my thoughts on why a movie does or doesn't. This is such a long winded answer. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's good. No, you're, it's great. It's great. Um, yeah, trying to articulate, you know, in a, in something of a concise way, my opinions on a movie beyond just this is good or this is bad, you know, trying to I'm a big proponent of always finding the thing. And that's what I call it, for lack of a better term. What is the thing that you're going to say about this movie that maybe nobody else is saying maybe you're going to you're going to zero in on on a metaphor you think this movie is a metaphor for something else or maybe you have a point of comparison that other people don't have you know because there are so many voices now especially because of the internet talking about movies that you have to stand out and some people unfortunately you know the way that they stand out is by being hyperbolic um i've always wanted to try to distinguish myself just by hopefully saying something just a little bit unique, you know, and to give people a, a reason to listen um, beyond just 
thumbs up or thumbs down. You know, you want to have a uh, have a conversation with the movie, kind of engage with the movie in a way that hopefully other people will find interesting. Let me ask you this. You you mentioned uh, in the early 2000s that you were writing reviews for different websites. And, and, and what was your first published review? Can you recall that? Absolutely. So my first published review was for a DVD for a movie called Pray for Rock and Roll, uh, starring Gina Gershon and Lori Petty, Andrea DiMatteo. It was about this girl band called Clam Dandy trying to make one last go of it. Um, and it was for an outlet called DVD Verdict, which I still write for to this day. I, I'm very loyal to them because they gave me my first break. And I think I was in the early days, I, it's interesting because when you're honing your voice, um, you go through some, some stages because I think in the early days I was a lot snarkier than I am now because it's like, well, I can craft a joke that's kind of funny in a smart assy kind of way. And now I know I have this audience and so haha, won't they think I'm clever? And I got that out of my system fairly quickly. Luckily, I think um, there are still some writers I, I read who are still in that stage um, and I don't read them for very long. Um, but I got that out of my system fairly quickly and was able to, I think, hopefully engage with the material more honestly. But yes, I will never, ever sell my DVD of Pray for Rock and Roll because <laughs> it holds such a special place in my heart, even though the movie is not that great. <laughs> that was good. that was actually just answered the next question. I was going to say it. How 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 did you how did you really score that movie? But uh, you basically just answered <laughs> that question right there. You mentioned Roger Ebert there as you know you read him every Friday, and he is probably arguably the the most well known uh, film reviewer in history. Were there other uh, film reviewers that you sort of agreed with or tended to identify and uh, and sort of go along with what they would say? You know. Um... In the early days, uh, I didn't read that much criticism. I read Roger Ebert all the time, and I would get his uh, his yearbooks out of the library, and then I started collecting them where they you know compiled. Um, later on, it was all of his reviews for a given year, but in the early days, it was kind of a here's just a you know a kind of a greatest hits, um, and so I would read those over and over again. But I had less access, you know, in the pre-internet days, so we had a few different local critics um, who I would read sometimes. Um, there was a, a guy uh, who wrote in one of the other local papers named Dan Geyer, who I started to read all the time. It really wasn't until I think, you know, I started to maybe pick up a premiere when I started having like a disposable income, I would start to pick up a premiere magazine or an entertainment weekly. And I would I was branching out a little bit, but it really wasn't until kind of the proliferation of the Internet that I was able to find writers that I read regularly. One of my favorite writers and somebody who I talk about all the time on the on the podcast is uh Devin Faraci who writes for Birth Movies Death and has really become, you know, I think one of the the most prominent internet critics. And he's a controversial guy. He rubs a lot of people the wrong way. He could be somewhat abrasive, but I, I find him to be a very talented writer. And I had found him in the late uh probably around 2009, I would say, and he wasn't yet, you know, who he is now. Um, he was still writing for a website called Chud at that time. And the the way that I found him was that I had gone to see Observe and Report. Did you ever see that? It, the uh, Seth Rogen uh, film. It was the same year that um, Paul Blart came out. It was one of those 
Yes, exactly. One, one of those the, duality the, film years. Right. So. The Dante's Peak and Volcano exactly. phenomenon. Exactly. Um, so I had gone to see Observe and Report with very low expectations, uh, I think because I had seen Paul Blart. And I came out of it kind of having my world rocked. I was like, I don't know. I loved that, and I don't totally understand why. And so I started to look around on the internet a little bit, and I found this writer who was the only other person I had found who championed the movie in a way uh, that I felt, and it was this guy, Devin Faraci. And so then I just started checking in on him regularly. And, uh, oh, I should mention, I, I, I got to jump back. Um, when I was trying to read some some critics as a kid, um, I did start to check out Pauline Kael books out of my library, and I was at something of a disadvantage because a lot of the movies she was writing about I had never seen uh, just because of my age or because of my access. Um, and a lot of times I totally disagreed with her on things, but I just thought she had such a such an interesting way of turning a phrase um, that her stuff was so readable even if you know the opinions didn't support my own, I'm not the kind of person who can only read reviews um, that support how I feel about a movie. So I was, and and she's one of the the first people to really turn me on to Brian De Palma, who has become one of my favorite directors, because she was really writing about him in a serious way and always talking about how funny his movies were, and I was not finding that anywhere else. And so I started checking out Brian De Palma and. Uh, and really kind of zeroed in on on him and and kind of agreed with her on that. But so back to, yeah, so Devin Faraci, I, I would start checking in on him all the time. And then that, you know, he would, that kind of opened the, the doors for a few other online critics that I would read regularly. A lot of times it has more to do with maybe the outlet these days. It's not necessarily one writer. It's just, okay, I know I want to check this site and kind of see what they say. But I guess those are the, those are the big ones that I have followed through my life. Okay, so let's talk about podcasts just for a moment. Before we get to F This Movie, let's just talk about how did you discover the world of podcasting and what was the first podcast that you remember being a regular listener of? Um, I think it would have been around the same – I feel like it was around 2009 also, and I wonder why that is. My son was just born, and he was born in late 2008, so by spring 2009 – I am working from home, writing uh, for a website, and trying to get out of the house. And uh, so I'm I'm going for walks with him around the neighborhood all the time. And I'm just you know I'm somebody who tends to listen to uh, like talk radio in my car, or was somebody who listened to talk radio in my car over music. Uh, now I pretty much only listen to podcasts, which is so great. I don't have to depend on talk radio. So I, I knew that podcasts had existed because I remembered hearing about them like Adam Curry is supporting podcasts. And like the guy with the hair from MTV, what do I, what's a podcast? Um, and so I started listening to a few and I, I couldn't tell you what the first one I heard was. I'm sure that in the early days, I think in my in my regular rotation were Slash Film. Um, I 
think Doug Loves Movies was around at that point. I'm trying to remember the the shows I would listen to as I was walking around. And I was listening to Kevin Smith's podcast, sure, I guess, sure, Smodcast. Yeah. I, I wonder if that was the first one I listened to because I'm trying to figure out like what would have been the impetus for, you know, I recognized him as a brand. And so that got me to check out a podcast. But um, those were kind of the, the three that I was regularly listening to in those days. What prompted you and what sort of gave you the idea that, hey, uh, I think I want to do this and how did you outline the first episode? And I'm going to add a couple more questions to that. Who did you ask to join you on the first episode? And just sort of take me through the, the beginning <laughs> stages. All right. Well, here's where I just come across as completely unprofessional because I would love to say, well, I had this great game plan. I knew sure. what I was doing. Sure. <laughs> I no clue. Uh, and to this day, I still don't in a lot of ways. Um, so I had a friend, uh, I, two friends. One uh, is my friend Doug, who's on the show all the time and has become a, a key contributor to the site. And then another is our friend Jason. And our friend Jason had said, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's make a podcast. Um, you know, we sit around and, and joke and try to make each other laugh all the time. Let's try to do it. And so we would start to get together and just kind of experiment try to come up with some topics and it, it more closely resembled not I won't say morning radio in like the morning zoo sense but it was really jumping around there was no cohesive theme there was no it was just hey here's these three guys you know trying to make each other laugh basically for an hour and we weren't really publishing them we weren't really publicizing them because we were just trying to figure it out Again, because I was clueless, I would like put copyrighted music underneath, you know, if we're talking about a subject, I would find a song that corresponds and put it underneath, not realizing like, oh, you can't do that. You can't just use any music you want. And we did about 20 of those. And then it kind of fell apart um, just because people's schedules got more and more difficult. But two or three of them had been completely movie centric because our friend Jason watches a lot of movies, but he's not like a movie guy. He's not somebody who's going to sit around and talk about movies for hours at a time. And on the weeks where he couldn't make it, I would just say, okay, well, I'll do it and we'll just talk about movies. And so that's what we did. So when that kind of experiment fell apart, I thought, you know what? I, I actually had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we sit around and talk about movies and try to make one another laugh anyway. So why wouldn't we try to do something with that? You know, and and again, I had no plans for it. It was just, um, let's see if we can make our own movie podcast. You know, and uh, and so the first episode I ever recorded was uh, with my friend Mike. And we had done a show on young guns and it was such it's such a random like, you know, I got this idea in my head and I didn't want to wait to like execute it. So the day I thought of it, I was emailing with him and saying, hey, you are you free tonight? He said, yeah. I said, well, let's record an episode of a podcast. And I explained what I was thinking. And I said, have you watched anything lately that you feel like talking about? He said, well, I just watched young guns. I said, great. Let's talk about that. <laughs> awesome. So the first episode we we did was on young guns. Um but I knew that the first episode that I wanted to publish would be with Doug and it would be on the movie Avatar. And the reason for that is because Doug and I go further back than any of my other friends. Um, we have a chemistry that is unlike, you know, the chemistry that I have with any of my other friends. And Avatar, I think, had just come out on Blu-ray and it was the most successful movie of all time. So it just seemed like that made sense. Um, so that was the first episode we actually 
published, and I recorded that maybe two weeks after the Young Guns one. But again, the first few that we put out, we just kind of put them out. I mean, I, there was no way for anyone to find them. We weren't really promoting them. It was just this thing that was like, it was like a soft open. It was like they existed, but we weren't telling people because we were still practicing and still trying to find what the format would be. You know, uh, when I think back to those old shows, I mean, I would devote all this time to plot summary. And I don't know if you've ever tried to describe the plot of Avatar, but it's hard <laughs> because it's a lot of nonsense. Um, and then I, I quickly was like, well, why do I need to describe the plot of Avatar? No one who's listening to this hasn't seen Avatar. You know, chances are if somebody's listening to an episode on this movie, they've seen the movie. I don't need to tell them what the plot is. So I got rid of that, you know, fairly quickly. The question I had written down was, how did the first 10 episodes go? But you've, you, again, you've, you've pretty much answered that. You got into podcasting before what I like to call the great podcast boom happened, <laughs> which, which I got I, – I launched this show in uh, November of 2013. The first 10 episodes that I recorded of the show no longer exist. I've deleted them off the hard drive. That's how ill-prepared I was when I started my show. But what changed? I mean, what changed and where did you start to see the growth? Where did you, where, when did the numbers, the number of downloads, sort of the reception you would start to get on social media, wh- when did that start to happen? Well, uh, again, it's been very slow. The show, in general, hasn't changed all that much, which is both a good and bad thing. Like, I feel like it's good because I feel like, you know what, from the early goings, we kind of knew what kind of a show we were. We knew how we were going to talk about movies. The lineup has basically remained the same. And yet, you know, that it hasn't changed that much. Some people might say, well, you need to evolve. And I mean, in small ways, we have we have kind of a, a format now. It's not a different format than a lot of other movie podcasts. We spend a couple minutes talking about sometimes it's a lot of minutes talking about some stuff we've seen lately. And then we dive into a deeper discussion of, of of a single movie. Um, lately, we've been doing more kind of just topic-driven episodes, which people seem to like. There's, you know, little refinements here and there. And a lot of times it comes from listeners. Uh, for, I don't know, four years, I would give all of our social media stuff um, and our email address, all that stuff at the top of the show. And one time somebody said, you know, I've listened to that so many times. What about putting it at the end of the show? And I thought, all right, I mean, I'll try it, you know. Uh, and so that's what I did. And and that's kind of where it has stuck. So sometimes it's a little nudge where I feel like, yeah, that's a good suggestion. You know, sometimes it's stuff with our websites. Hey, I wish I could search, you know, your site by just podcasts. And okay, so then I would make that available. Or I wish you would list the size of the files. Okay, so I went through and did that, you know. Little tweaks here and there, there haven't been really significant changes. I remember uh, right around the time we recorded, I want to say it's it was our Anchorman show, which again was, I think, in those first 10 episodes, maybe 15. I had looked and saw that we had, I think, seven subscribers. And because we weren't promoting it, because we weren't publicized anywhere, I had no idea where those seven subscribers came from. But I remember that being a moment of like, wow, there are seven strangers in the world listening to what we are doing. And that was a weird thrill. And obviously, it it has grown from there. Uh, DVD Verdict, which is the site that I had started out writing for, the guy who runs that site is is a great guy named Michael Staley. And at that time... 
DVD Verdict was trying a lot of different things. And one of the things they were trying was a new podcast every day. So they had a few different shows. It was almost like a little, like a mini network of podcasts. And he'd emailed me and said, hey, I, I see that you're doing this thing. Because I think at that time I'd maybe pushed one or two to Facebook. Um, and he wrote me and said, I see that you're doing this thing. Would you mind if we make that, you know, one of the shows that we run on our site every week? And I said, no, absolutely not. It was it was more exposure, you know, than I was ever going to get. And so he started doing that. And I think that is really where a lot of people started to find us. I'm always curious where people do find us. Um And in the early days, I think a lot of them found us through DVD Verdict and then thankfully have stuck with us because DVD Verdict Verdict really stopped running podcasts years ago, three or four years ago at this point. Um, But they have stuck with us. Uh, And and nowadays, I'm not sure where people find us. And uh, here's another example of me being totally unprofessional. I don't – I'm not good about uh, tracking downloads. I don't. Really, I mean, I see what some what our web traffic is, um, and it's okay. You know, I, obviously, I always wish it were better, especially almost six years in now. Um, but in terms of downloads, I don't pay that much attention to it, which I guess I should, especially if I ever wanted to do anything with this professionally. But I've essentially resigned myself to the fact that that's almost impossible now because as you pointed out uh the market became really glutted with podcasts at a certain point and unless you are a known quantity in a lot of cases uh you know comedians all launch their podcasts well they already have an audience or you have uh the backing of a media outlet behind you or whatever you know those are the people who maybe uh do well with sponsorships and that sort of thing um, we're just people, you know, recording a show out of our basement and hoping that people find us and like it. Um, and so I've always been happy with that. And and that's kind of the driving force behind my doing it, um, getting to talk to the people that, that listen to us or comment underneath or send us emails or talk to us on social media or whatever. That's kind of how I gauge how we're doing because I'm, I'm pretty neg- negligent when it comes to checking the downloads. Like I said, I'm, I'm just not, a, not professional in any way. I want to ask you this question. I have asked a lot of uh, fellow podcasters this question and I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll ask it, but first I'll give you just a, a, a quick little anecdote. Uh, when I started the show uh, about a year into me doing the show, I was lucky enough to, you know, people were nice enough to write some five-star reviews on iTunes. And I thought that was really nice that, you know, you know it's actually quite challenging to write a review on iTunes. So if someone actually takes the time to write one, it's, uh, it means a lot. One day I woke up and found that I had a two-star review and somebody wrote something really negative about the show that I did. And it, Forget the fact that I had 25-star reviews. That one two-star review bothered me for days. I, I, was, I was literally losing sleep over it. My, my question is, how did you handle the first time somebody wrote a negative review of the podcast? Yeah, that's funny because um, I, I had a very similar response. You know, That first negative one is like, oh, wow, wait, what did I do? Why don't they like this? Exactly. It, really, it really sticks with you. And, I, and I've said before on the show, I mean, I'm such a hypocrite because what we do on a week-to-week basis is criticize something that somebody's putting out in the world. Now, that doesn't mean we're always tearing it down, but there are certainly some weeks where – I don't like something and I say I don't like this, you know, which is the same as somebody leaving us a bad iTunes review. And yet I was so thin skinned that I was like, oh, no. Um, yeah, I had a tough time with it. And, and honestly, I think the the worst part about it now I let it roll off much more easily. Um, for the most part, it doesn't bother me. 
even when we get the occasional one-star review, it's somebody with a real specific axe to grind. Hey, you didn't like The Dark Knight Rises, one yeah. star. Like, okay, well, this, we're not the show for you, you know? The hardest thing for me is always when I feel like they're being dishonest about what we do or mischaracterizing the show in some way. Uh, this sounds really, really petty, but we recently got a three-star review, which is very nice. Three stars. Hey, I'll take three stars out of five. Sure. And it was like, the show's entertaining. It's funny. But here's the but. Here's the but. Um, <laughs> they are like not willing or able to talk about cinema seriously. You know, they just talk about whatever mediocrity is playing in theaters or something. And that's true. We're not. We don't do shows on Ozu films, you know. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't see those movies, that we don't love those movies. Um, I just think it's unfair to say, like, well, they can't talk about cinema seriously because we're not. If that's the show you want, there are lots of shows that do that, you know. Um, I don't think it's fair to say, like, one star, McDonald's, you didn't serve pizza. Like, that's <laughs> exactly. not that's what good. they do. So you have to take everything, you know, on its own terms. Um, again, it was a, it was a three star review. I, I'm not being a jerk about it, but it's those instances and you have no recourse. You know, you can't type on iTunes like, hey, buddy, <laughs> you know, uh, some of these movies are serious, whatever. Well, most of the time I'm just able to, to, to blow it off. Well, I mean, and that's I mean, reading that three star review, but you don't take the cinema serious. Every episode you start off with, have you seen anything good lately? And you're talking about a plethora of films, not just ones that are in the theater, small independent films. I mean, it's just, I, I'm just saying, I think that review is a bit silly and a bit uh, inaccurate. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it in that instance, again, in that instance, I'm not trying to characterize everybody who doesn't like us as being in the wrong. Right. But in that instance, I think there's a, a bit of snobbery that comes off in say, oh, whatever mediocrity is in theaters. Like, I think some of the, you know, we don't only talk about new releases, but I think there's room to take even a big commercial blockbuster and try to talk about it seriously, uh, which I think we do. We still make jokes, but we're still trying to find valid uh, things to say about what works and what doesn't work, even in a movie that costs $200 million. You know, it's not just because something is, uh, you know, older and in black and white doesn't automatically mean that's serious cinema. Why can't we talk about all cinema? I like to think that you've got a catchphrase, and I'm wondering if it was something that you would you that you use prior to the podcast when describing a movie that I think you would probably consider average, and that's it's fine. And is that something that was pre-podcast, or is that something that developed through the throughout the podcast? I, I think it's something that developed, and it was not anything that was um, engineered or consciously done. It was just, it was almost like. Um, people that listen to the show kind of picked up on that and ran with it, and now it has become its own, like its own self fulfilling prophecy. I think there's just some movies where I just I did not know what else to say about it. You know, um, I think pre podcast a lot of times I would review a movie just by saying the title of the movie. So I would go see American Pie two, and my wife would say, "How was it?" And I would say, "I don't know. It's American Pie two. You know, like." <laughs> <laughs> it's self-explanatory but i wasn't sure if that translated to the podcast so maybe that's how it's fine came about i don't know but uh 
it is funny that I somehow became known for not committing to an opinion on something, just being like, I don't know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but you know, and that that's that's changed a lot over the years too. I go back. Um, there is an episode, an early episode of our podcast, and I won't even say which one it is, but it's unavailable i think the hosting service that we use is totally unreliable and every few years a bunch of links just deactivate so i start getting comments like link doesn't work can you repost this and i try to be quick about it and i try to get all the old shows back up for people that are just finding us there's one that i've never gone back and fixed and i won't say which one but um because myself and my co-host were making some jokes that were very insensitive and i didn't mean for them to be at the time um but because it was just us screwing around and not really thinking about people listening to this i think we crossed a line that i would not at all feel comfortable crossing anymore and so in the course of doing the show um i have become i think much more aware not just about you know not, it's not about being politically correct and what won't offend people or anything like that it's just Trying to be a better uh, movie watcher, trying to be a better critic and thinking about, you know, the ways that we talk about these things. The person who made this thing may be listening, you know, and so to just be really dismissive and, in, in kind of an ignorant way, I've tried to get away from and I've, I've tried to, you know, I've come to the realization just in talking to other people and hearing different opinions, listening to other podcasts, like every movie is someone's favorite movie. So just because I don't love it, you know, I think pre 2010 me would have been very comfortable being like, what? No, that's garbage. And you're wrong for liking it. Um, and I, you know, I think I've become, uh, become enlightened is probably not the best term, but just more aware of, you know, these are just my opinions and you have yours and let's talk about them and let's, you know, make our cases or whatever. Um, so I, I think in some cases it's fine was like, I don't want to just trash this movie, but I have very little to say that's good about it. So I'm just going to leave it at it's fine. That's, I don't know exactly. How no, that, that was no, that's good. That's good. That's, that's a really good explanation right there. Actually, it's going to give new meaning to, to the movies you talk about when you use that phrase. Now I'm going to understand that a whole lot more. got some clarity there. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I want to talk about, just for a moment, uh, I'll basically just start again by just saying that two weeks ago I went to the theater and I saw Sing Street. I was the only one in the theater watching that film, and it was on a Sunday. And I sat there at 38 years old with just a big smile on my face and just absolutely loved this small, independent Irish film. And I, sat to my, I said to myself, you know, 25-year-old Dana would have never been caught dead in a theater watching Sing Street just wouldn't have happened. Uh, but I realized that my, my tastes have really started to evolve as I've gotten a little bit older. So my question for you is, how has your taste in movies evolved over the years, and especially since you started doing the podcast? Has it, has it pretty much stayed even keel, or have you sort of tended to gravitate towards a certain genre of film? Um, it's, it's stayed pretty even, um, you know, certain things have changed just because of life situations in the early, I was just talking about this yesterday with a friend in the early two thousands when I was dating my wife, who's also a huge movie lover. It's one of the things we bonded over. We would go to a theater and see five movies in a day. 
So we saw everything that came out. It didn't matter how lousy it was or whatever. It was just, hey, it's showing at two o'clock. We're going to go. Um, and now having kids and more responsibilities, I'm lucky if I get out to the movie I actually want to see, much less, you know, the new Rob Schneider movie. So in some ways, I see fewer movies um, theatrically. I try to keep up. Luckily, you know, with the proliferation of like VOD now, I'm able to keep up on a lot of smaller independent movies and I don't have to drive into the city to see them. I think if my tastes have changed in any way since starting this site, I think they've gotten a little bit like, I won't say weirder, but um, it, I think it just got to a point, you know, I, I like very specific, uh, you know, I'm way into horror movies and action movies and just cult movies and exploitation movies and that kind of stuff. And I always have been. And I, so I don't know if it's just a function of reaching a certain point in my life where I had seen pretty much all of the standards uh, and now I need to seek out the kind of smaller, weirder, also rans, these forgotten movies or whatever. Or if it's a function of um, even launching, you know, every year now in, in June, we do a month devoted to these kinds of movies. And I think that's had something to do with it, too, because now for 30 days, I'm watching nothing but these weird little exploitation movies and people are writing their reviews of the movies they've watched and I'm reading it like, oh, I got to see that. So then I'm seeking those out. So I think I've gone further down that particular rabbit hole. Um, but I still, you know, see indie movies and romantic comedies and whatever big blockbusters coming out. And, you know, so I still try to get a, a, a wide variety but I, I think I've definitely gone further down the rabbit hole of like weird exploitation movies. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, I mean, I'm th throughout the course of the five plus years, have you ever had filmmakers reach out to you, say, I'd like to send you my movie. Would you be interested in talking about it? And it's a two part question. A, you said, yes, you accepted the movie. You didn't like the movie. How did you handle that situation? Or B, did you like the movie, but you still didn't feel like it could fit into you know a program that you were doing? I, I've had that question. I mean, it usually doesn't come from a filmmaker. If it comes from a filmmaker, I've found a lot of times it's a short film. And so that makes it easy because we don't really talk about short films. Um, so I don't, you know, it just doesn't fit into what we're doing. Um, when it's a, a feature, it will usually come not so much from a filmmaker as from a a little studio or, you know, some marketing person or whatever. And so I, as mean as it may sound, I have a much easier time ignoring those people than I do, you know, a filmmaker who's really trying to get the word out on their movie. I, in most cases, I, I actually there, I don't think there's been a case where I've said yes. Um, only because of exactly what you're talking about. I don't want to, once I say yes, I got to say yes to everybody. And for as much as I would love for one to come through that I think is great and that I can champion and get the word out and maybe make a tiny difference for that little movie, that means there are 99 that I'm not going to like. And I just don't want to write 99 reviews, negative reviews for movies that need only positive word of mouth. You know, I, I, I don't want to be the voice out there that's uh, dumping on 
this little movie that somebody's put their entire life into and they're really trying to get the word out. I appreciate that they want to send a copy and say, hey, can you watch this? Can you give us feedback? Can you promote it? Um, but then if I'm, you know, one of two negative reviews on the Internet or something, anytime somebody looks for their movie, that's what they're going to find. And I'm not helping them by doing that. So in most cases, I've just stayed away from that. Now, I have been contacted by filmmakers involved with movies that I have reviewed. And I think I've told this story on the podcast once, but I wrote a, 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 a fairly negative review of a horror film. And was contacted by the screenwriter because I had pointed out like, yeah, the script really doesn't work. And I was contacted by the screenwriter on Facebook, I think. And he said, uh, how do you know the script didn't work? Did you read the script? What they shot, you know, wasn't what I wrote. Oh, wow. Okay. I wrote. Oh, please, please go a little more in detail to this one. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I – uh, I wrote back, fair enough. Um, no, I didn't read the script. Uh, you have to understand that, you know, all I have to go by is the name that's credited to this screenplay. So I, I, it's not like I can say the script might have worked, but it changed along the way. You know, we just can't do that. We can say, oh, the, the directing is bad, but for all we know, uh, the edit was taken away by a studio. And if we're not privy to that information, we assume the director made bad choices, right? So without knowing the entire backstory, we just can't provide those caveats in every single review. Um, so I said, listen, uh, you're right. I didn't read the script. Um, and I said, I would love to talk to you about it more because again, I'm, I'm always trying to be a more, sensitive, uh, a better movie watcher, a better writer about film, you know? Um, and so we were able to have a, a decent discussion and he kind of talked about, well, listen, it, it changed a lot from what I wrote. And I said, okay, I was not aware of that, you know? Um, and I, it's really the only time in the five plus years that I've been writing stuff on the site that, uh, I went back and kind of changed the wording a little bit I, where I said, uh, you know, I, I forget what I changed. I basically changed it from the screenplay doesn't work to, you know, whatever ended up on screen doesn't work oh, or something okay. like that to kind of shift the blame away from this writer. But then I was very frustrated because this same writer, um, the week that that film was out, was retweeting any positive review and saying like, oh, this you know, Fangoria wrote a great review. They get it. <laughs> and, I, and I took offense because I'm like, oh, so I didn't like it means I didn't get it. And then I thought, well, now if I had said your movie's great, you would have happily taken the credit for that, you know, as the screenwriter. You would have happily said, well, I wrote that. But because I say, oh, I don't really like the movie and the script is bad. Now you're saying, well, that's not my fault. Um So it's 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 it can be a hard area to navigate. My experience is are very limited when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's not a regular occurrence, but that was, that was a, that was an interesting kind of minefield to navigate. I, you know, I asked that question because uh, about three months, no, six months ago, even though my show is more about film history and, and the history of some of the more beloved films out there, and I'm right. branching out into TV and whatnot, I still get sent m movies to watch. It's very, very small independent films. And on one occasion, I was contacted by a filmmaker somewhere in America, that's all I'll say there, was sent a copy of a movie with no promise that I would even talk about it on the show, because it's just that doesn't really make sense with what I do. I was five minutes into the movie, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, and I am one of those people, like, I try to, you know, find the good in anything. And I just, I mean, I, it was, 
as bad as I've ever seen, and I'm certainly not going to say the movie or the, or the filmmaker's name by any means, but I took it out and sort of was kind of went through that, let's just ignore it and hope the problem goes away. And you know, I was contacted about two weeks later by him. I said, you, you see my film? And I, I just politely wrote back and just said, uh, well, I did see the movie, and I decided that it's just not going to fit the format of my show. Thank you so much for sending it to me. He then wrote me back par- a few paragraphs demanding to know what was wrong with the movie. Ugh. And I was just – I found myself in a really unique situation because I am not a film critic. I am I'm somebody who you – know, again, I look at myself more as a sort of a contemporary film historian. Mm-hmm. And I – so I, I didn't know what to do. And I actually reached out to a, another filmmaker friend of mine and said, should I answer him? Be, should I be honest? And uh, thankfully, my filmmaker friend said, just ignore him. You, you, don't, yeah. you don't owe this guy anything. So I was always kind of interested if, if you ever found yourself in that situation and with the screenwriter. But it sounds to me like you sort of ended the conversation amicably with him. And that's, I mean, so you guys are, everything is kind of cool between the two of you. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess. I don't know. I mean, he may think very little of me because he didn't like, uh, I didn't like his movie. I mean, you know, there's another filmmaker who I've become kind of friendly with uh, over the course of doing this and put out a movie, you know, that I wasn't crazy about and had to, you know, and that's uncomfortable too. It's like somebody who's not exactly a friend, but who you are friendly with. And now you have to criticize that film. And, uh, and yet he responded and said, you know, I really appreciate that. And I agree with everything you said. And and that's something else that I hear from filmmakers a lot too. When they say, you know, I read negative reviews, trust me, I can say a hundred more things that are wrong with the movie, you know, cause I see everything that's wrong with it. You just see this, this, and this on your one viewing. I know everything that's wrong sure. with my movie. Okay. So this filmmaker wrote and said, like, yeah, I really, you know, agree with everything you said, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, trying to be fair to it. And that's all you can ask for, really. Okay, so I've got a few more questions about the podcast. I want to talk about some of the, let's see, some of the really fun things that you do throughout the year. You mentioned June exploitation, which I only wish I had the time in my schedule to participate in June exploitation. I try to make it a note of, of writing down a few of the movies you guys talk about so I can at least watch them, but I don't have the time in my schedule to do a, a movie every day for 30 days. Um, June, June exploitation, Scary Movie Month, which I love that one. I'm a big horror movie fan myself. Yeah. And then I want to talk about uh, F This Movie Fest, which is, how would you describe it? The world's only Twitter yeah, the world's only all Twitter film all festival. Twitter film festival. And every year I Google like Twitter film festival just to see if that is still a true <laughs> statement because I'm not positive it is. I can't find anyone else that's doing it, but that doesn't mean that somebody else isn't doing it, you know. Which one of those start at first? Um Scary Movie Month was the first one and it really just came about cuz I love horror movies and so the very first year we we launched I think in May of 2010. And then that October, it was never really announced, you know, hey, this is a thing. Um, but I just decided, okay, well, we're going to devote this month to nothing but horror movies and came up with this, you know, scary movie challenge where you watch a movie and uh, anytime you watch a, a horror movie in October, you go to the site and you post a seven word review of that movie. How I came up with seven words, I couldn't tell you. It's like I put zero thought into seven words. It just seemed like the right number. Uh, five is too few, 10 is too many. So I was like, oh, seven. Um, and that first year, my goal was to get to 107 word reviews. And we did. We got just over 100. 
And now, you know, we get a few hundred the first day. So it's it, that's grown exponentially. F This Movie Fest started in, we just did our fourth one. I want to say, yeah, it started in 2012, 13, 14, 15, uh, 2013. And it came about really just because um, we had developed a community by then. We'd been around about two and a half years and we had developed a, a community of pretty loyal people who would listen and comment and write in and all that kind of stuff. And I love um, programming movie nights. Um, for my 30th birthday, I didn't want to do anything to celebrate. My wife really wanted to celebrate my 30th birthday. And she said, well, what if we do like a movie night? And I said, okay, that, that, <laughs> and she said, well, what movie? I was like, no, 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 no. anything that's worth doing, we got to really do it. So we're going to do three movies. She's like, does it have to be three? I said, yeah, it's got to be three. So I love, you know, choosing a theme and finding the ways that the movies kind of interact with one another. I'm just, I love programming like little mini festivals um and i would love to do that you know for f this movie everybody come to the we're going to rent out this theater and everybody come we're going to watch movies together all day but it's just not feasible for a hundred different reasons so i thought well we're spread out all over the world what if we just do it all kind of virtually what if we uh, you know, program a day's worth of movies and everyone procures the movies themselves and then we kind of live tweet them you know uh for lack of a, a better experience i mean that's basically what we're doing um and so that's kind of how that came about and it was fun and fairly successful and i feel like it's gotten bigger since then i don't think it's you know huge or anything but uh it's something that people look forward to every year and it's a lot of fun and then uh june exploitation kind of came about because so we had that we do that every February and we do scary movie month every October, obviously. So we're my friend Doug and I, who is the guy who I kind of bounce ideas off of. We were trying to come up with, well, what's something at the midpoint, you know, one of these big events. And so the first year we did something called 30 stars of summer. And it's the same basic premise. We made a calendar with a different actor or filmmaker for every day of June. And you had to watch, you know, here's a June 5th is Whoopi Goldberg. So you have to watch a movie starring Whoopi Goldberg and the next day is Cary Grant or whatever. And it was OK. You know, it was um, we did OK with it. But I, nobody was like, I can't wait for this next year. And so we were coming up on the following June. And I just thought, well, these are the kind of movies that I like to watch. So if we're going to do this, uh, it might as well be something that I'm going to, even if no one else does it, at least I'll have fun watching one of these movies every day for June. And so that's kind of how June exploitation came about. And that had a much bigger response. And so this is, we're coming now up on our fourth June exploitation. Okay. Talking about uh, scary movie month for a moment. Now you said that the first, uh, the first month, the first time you did it, the seven word reviews, you were hoping to get a hundred. I have two questions. The first question is, How'd you do last October on Scary Movie Month with the seven-word reviews? And how surprised are you with just how many different reviews people come up with for the same movie? Um, I don't have the exact count from last year because we did it a different way. It used to be one continuous comment thread. Okay. Um, but because of the way that comments are set up on the blogger platform that we use, you can't sort them anyway. This is technical behind the scenes stuff that nobody really cares about, but like blogger won't run um, 
Discuss, I think it's called. That's the kind of a very popular commenting platform. It, I mean, it, it, it might run it, but it won't import any of our tens of thousands of old comments. And gotcha. so I don't want to just lose all those. So I've been trying to find a platform to switch over to. But because you can't sort them, what people were having to do was literally scroll through thousands of comments before they could, you know, to read the 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 most recent ones. And so there's another one where there's another instance where we kind of adapted to listener feedback because somebody said, well, could we set it up maybe like June exploitation, which is a new comment thread for every day. So this past year we had, you know, 31 different comment threads basically. Sure. And I never added up the totals. I mean, we had several thousand, that's, I would say. That's the, that's kind of where I was trying to get. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you went from a hundred to several thousand over the yeah, course of the years. And, yeah. And again, I mean, some of it, there are people on there who alone watch over a hundred movies in October. You know, I can't believe how many movies some people are able to fit in. Um, and to answer your second question, that's really my favorite part. Aside from just selfishly getting to watch horror movies all October, that's my favorite part of Scary Movie Month is I can't, I can't even wrap my head around how clever some of the seven word reviews are and how funny some of the, and you know, not everybody goes for that. I don't, I, I find that I spend very little time trying to come up with my seven word review. It's like, it either comes to me really fast or it doesn't come at all. And, but some people are so, so funny with theirs and we make it a point to try to spotlight uh, a lot of our favorites on the podcast during October. So we open the show by picking some of our favorites and reading them out. And that's always fun because I always, uh, I, I often hear from the people whose review I read, you know, they'll comment or they'll email and they'll say, oh my gosh, it was such a thrill to hear you pick my seven word review, you know, uh, which is cool and, and fun. But yeah, they are so entertaining reading everybody's reviews. So you live in the Chicago area, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So I've got a, a few questions here, so just bear with me here. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kind of fire them off real quick here. What doors did F this movie open up to, to you as far as uh, maybe perhaps getting access to to screenings of of bigger films? So around 2012 or 2013, I. Uh we got into the online film critics association and I don't know if that was because I'd built up, you know, several hundred reviews writing for DVD verdict or because, um, you know, now I was writing for F this movie. And so I had a, a higher output. Um, so I got in there and then I would, I would start to get, um, screeners sent to the house at the end of every year for, you know, awards consideration. So a lot of kind of art films, Academy worthy, quote unquote films uh, would be sent to the house in November and December, but I wasn't really getting invited out to like critics screenings. That didn't really happen until uh, 2014, 2014, no, 2015. I think it was, I can't remember 2000. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was 2014. Um, I was accepted into the Chicago Film Critics Association. And I think a lot of that had to do with F This Movie, uh, in part because my output was higher. I was reviewing more new releases and just covering some of what was going on 
in the Chicago film scene on the site. And so uh, then I was admitted, uh, accepted into that organization and that has opened up the doors, you know, for critics screenings, most of which I'm not even able to attend just because of where and when they take place and other responsibilities get in the way. Um, but it's been very cool and, and, and tricky because, and I, I think I've said this before on my own podcast, Again, 2010 me, if I had known where this would eventually go and that we would have an audience and that I would be accepted into this critics association and, you know, be sort of a professional when it came to this stuff, I might have reconsidered the name of the website. (laughs) And I went with this movie because I thought it was funny and I knew that we were just always going to be kind of irreverent. That's just how I am with my friends and I knew who I wanted to do this with. And again, not thinking that anybody was really going to be listening. Um, I just thought it was funny. And it was when that name came to me, Oh, F this movie that that was kind of the idea for the, to do the podcast. And uh, you know, that kind of grew into the the larger website. But so that's been interesting to navigate now being associated with uh, some professional critics organizations because I do think there's still a little bit of a stigma. I don't think, you know, media outlets want to use pull quotes from my reviews because I think, you know, the name is misleading. It just sounds a like, you know, we have a curse word in the name of our site, but it also sounds like we're just trashing movies, which is not really what we're doing, but it really does sound like. So if you're, if your movie is associated with our site, it means that we have spent an hour making fun of it or written a review making fun of it. And that's not the case, but I do think that the name of the, the site has held me back at the same time that I think it has opened a lot of doors. You know, the, the, the running of the site has opened doors. The name has helped me back. It's a known brand in my opinion. I mean, it's, well, that's very nice of you to say. Yeah, you would be in a very small minority, I think, who shares that opinion. By the way, thank you for sending, spending a, you know, some time talking about the podcast because I have gone on record on numerous occasions uh, letting people know that as far as film review podcast goes, it's absolutely been my favorite and uh, it's really, really good to hear the story behind it. And certainly I, I look forward to every episode, but I want to I shift gears if I could just for a moment. And I want to kind of talk, if we could, about the current state of film. And by that, I mean that in 1984, only four of the top 30 films in 1984 were a sequel. Uh, in 2015, 26 of the top 30 films were either a sequel or a reboot. And I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts of, obviously, we know where the trends are going, but where do you think and how long do you think it lasts? And I, I, I preface this by saying that Captain America, The Winter Soldier, was the last Marvel film that I saw in the theaters. And I did see Batman v Superman, but that's, you know, I'm we, I like to live in a world where that one doesn't really exist. So, <laughs> so I just, you know, I just want to hear, I'm sure, and I know you've discussed this numerous times on your show, but I, I just want to hear your thoughts sort of on the state of what I would dub mainstream film right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because I think it's very easy to kind of be beaten down by statistics like the one you just cited. And I think, I don't remember the number, um, you had sent me an email that said how many there's 160 there's currently 160 remakes reboots or anything that follows sequels that fall into that category coming out in the next 3 to 4 years i believe that's what the 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 number said 
Yeah, I, I believe I it was mean, three to four years. That just, you know, hearing it broken down like that just crushes any love you have for movies. Um, and it, unfortunately, it's just the reality of the business now that it's all a brand. It all has to be an IP. It has to be a recognizable property and you know as much as i want to say gosh why are studios doing that it's because well that's what has made them money if it, if people weren't going to see those movies they would not do that um so that depresses me and i think it's very easy when you're in it to get caught up in this is the worst it's ever been you know uh every year we do our our best of show or we do our how's the year going so far and when you're in it i think it's very easy to be like this was not a great year or you know ah, movies just aren't as good as they used to be because i can look back to 1984 or 1982 and say oh my gosh you know 50 good movies came out that year but that's because those are the 50 that have endured and i'm not subjected to all of those other films that just have kind of faded from memory and fallen by the wayside. And now I'm in it. So I'm inundated by the movies that will eventually fall into obscurity and fall by the wayside. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's only garbage that's coming out, but who's to say that 10 to 15 years from now, I can't look at those, you know, okay, there were still 30 to 50 good movies that came out in 2016 or 2015 or whatever. So that's that's the thing that keeps me going is that there's still enough good uh, that's out there that, uh, you know, I still love being a, a, a movie fan, even for current movies. You know, I I'm I'm not one to tell anybody how they should watch movies, but sometimes when I'm in conversations with people, you know, they really get stuck in the past. They, uh, they're only watching movies from a certain period pre-1970 pre-1980 but you know and it's great because we have channels now where you could do that we have uh home video we have blu-ray we have streaming you know we have all these ways to keep watching those older movies that we love and you could never go see a new movie again and still have enough to watch for the rest of your life but i you know like to still know what's out there and i still like uh things that are coming out that are new yes i think there are fewer of them, particularly when you talk about kind of big, wide releases, you know, and, and definitely I kind of bemoan that fact on a regular basis. When you think about you go back to 1984 and the summer of 1984, you know, you had Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. OK, that's a sequel to a beloved movie. But all of the other movies that now have become brands in our brains were new ideas at the time. Gremlins was not a known quantity. Ghostbusters was not a known quantity. These were new ideas that were being introduced to the public, and that has gone away. It's very rare now that a movie really catches on in the zeitgeist that is an unknown quantity. And so it's thrilling when that happens, and I, I certainly wish there was more of it. Hey, how about somebody sitting down, coming up with a new idea, and then filming that and showing it to us instead of something that is a sequel or based on something else or whatever. Um, so that I miss, but I try not to get too down too defeated by uh, where we're at. I think it's very easy to do. And so I, I have to make a conscious effort to try not to become too cynical. Let's talk about VOD for a moment. Is that the place where we find the new ideas? Is that where we're going to have to go to sort of be 
have our brains somewhat stimulated with the new ideas, with video on demand, the streaming services that are now making original content, original movies? Um, I mean, I, I hesitate to, to make a, a big blanket statement, but here goes. Uh, maybe. I mean, I think so. And I think the reason for that is because those are films being made at a budget uh, where there is less risk. And that's part of, I think, why they're released on that platform. Um, there's less risk and less need to hit all four quadrants and also have these marketing tie-ins and, you know, be the first in a, in a franchise and launch a shared universe and all that. It can just be a movie. And a lot of the, you know, the, the big mainstream releases now not only have to do all those things that I talked about, but they also have to travel overseas because we are no longer the primary consumers of Hollywood movies. You know, they're now made for global audiences. In some cases, the rest of the world sees them before we do. And the kinds of movies I think that I miss, you know, mid to low budget movies made for grownups uh, don't really travel overseas. You know, you need big CGI spectacle and familiar characters and story beats that are easy to follow even if you don't speak the language. And so nuance gets kind of lost in those areas. And so, you know, as much as it's very easy to romanticize VOD because I do it all the time. But to be honest, 75% of what I watch on VOD is also not very good. You know, the the, the ratio of of good to bad is not that far off from what it is in theaters. Um, you know, two thirds of what you see in theaters is okay to not great. Two thirds of what you watch on VOD is okay to not great. It's just, you know, every once in a while that, that little thing sneaks by and then you can kind of rally behind it and champion it. And, and that's one of the rewarding things I think about um, having an outlet like a website or a podcast, and I'm sure you can speak to this too, is being able to get behind a movie that people might not have otherwise given a chance. You know, um, in my case, it's mostly been some of the smaller horror films, um, most of which, you know, go to VOD. Theatrical horror is not in a great place, uh, but VOD horror independent horror is I think better than it's ever been. And so there's a lot of really great small movies coming through. And so the, the opportunity to hold those movies up and champion them and have people see them and say, you know what? I wouldn't have even known about that movie, but I'm really glad you, you wrote something about, it or you talked about it. Cause I really loved it has been very rewarding. So when it comes to like horror films, I think VOD has, has really been a, a savior um, for that genre but again, you know, there's like I said, there's there's just as much, you know, there's a, a a John Travolta movie on VOD right now called I Am Wrath. And it's it's the movie that would have gone directly to video if Blockbuster were still open. You know, it's yeah. not I, I I'm guilty of romanticizing VOD that that it has become the replacement art house. But that's not really true. So just because it's at this digital art house doesn't mean it's good. You know, the new Steven Seagal movies on VOD, that movie is garbage. <laughs> so um, the last 15 Nicolas Cage films. I, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 there's, yeah. A, there's a pattern there. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I like having options. I think that's that's 
maybe the most exciting thing. You know, you even have Netflix kind of branching out into original movies and Adam Sandler is making movies for Netflix now. And I'm not an Adam Sandler fan. Uh, I've watched his I, I just watched his new Netflix movie, which is called The Do Over. And I didn't particularly like it. And yet it's considerably better than the movies that he was making theatrically. For whatever reason, it's like he seems invested. It seems a little bit like he's trying, which is more than I can say of his last few theatrical efforts. So just the fact that there are options out there, that there are alternatives to, and there, and because there have to be, because you know, uh, big blockbusters have crowded out. I have a theater near me that's 30 screens, you know. <laughs> Uh, you would think one or two of those could be given over to a smaller art house film. Sometimes they are, but you have to have X-Men Apocalypse on three sc- screens in 3D and then on two screens in 2D and then in one IMAX screen. So now you're talking about six of 24 screens being given over to one movie. So it's nice that as that as smaller movies have been crowded out, they've found other places to come up. Now, and I don't want to spend a long time on this question right here, but given everything we've just discussed about, you know, we understand why the studios are making these movies. You, you, you spelled it out perfectly. It's what's making money. It's the lowest risk. It travels well overseas. With all of that being said, do you think that people are being particularly hard on this Ghostbusters remake that's getting ready to come out? Do you think that now it's just become trendy to not like this movie or like the idea of this movie? I cannot wrap my head around the vitriol um, that's being directed towards the new Ghostbusters movie. I am not um, in favor of sequelizing or remaking Ghostbusters. Um, Dan Aykroyd has been talking about it for years. I've always felt like that's not a good idea. You have one perfect little movie. Let's leave it at that because I don't even think Ghostbusters 2 is very good. And I know there's that movie's beloved by some people, but it, you know, people talk about it like it's a franchise. It's really not. It's two movies, only one of which I think is any good. Um, so I get, you know, when they, when they remake a bad movie, no problem. Go for it. That makes sense. When they remake a movie that I think is kind of perfect, I think, hey, don't touch that. Don't, because if it's bad, all you've done is kind of taint the movie's legacy. And by the way, not really, because they remade A Nightmare on Elm Street, and that movie's forgotten, and people still love the original 1984 film. That's not going anywhere. So, you know, as much as I was down about that idea at the time, it the remake has done nothing to diminish my love for the original, you know? So we shall weather this Ghostbusters storm. Best case scenario, it's great and really funny. And then, yay, we have a new good movie in our lives, you know? And if it's bad, well, so what? Go watch the 1984 one. I, so it's, it, it's the same issue that comes up anytime they remake a movie. You know, they're remaking Ben-Hur this summer. Uh, no one is up in arms about remaking Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur is a classic. Ben-Hur is one of the most beloved movies of all time, right? No one is talking about how dare they remake Ben-Hur. And yet Ghostbusters is this sacred cow. Now, obviously, there's another issue that comes into it, which is this gender issue. And I don't necessarily even want to touch on that because the people who are posting the sexist and hateful things on Twitter and on YouTube and um, making videos saying I'm not going to watch this and I don't want female Ghostbusters um, – it's I, I, I'm so unable to understand 
where they are coming from that I can't really even comment except to say that makes no sense to me. That's ridiculous. That's dumb. You never loved Ghostbusters because they were all boys. That's not what made Ghostbusters good. So I don't understand that side of it. But in terms of, yes, I absolutely think people are being overly hard on the idea of remaking Ghostbusters. The optimist in me wants to think it's just because it is so beloved and it means so much to so many people. The realist in me knows that a big part of it has to do with the gender of the casting. And we're talking about Ghostbusters here for a moment there are two movies in the canon. There are two movies that if they ever remake them, and I have a feeling that both of these will get remade within the next 20 years, that I would start a campaign. I would start a petition. One of those, of course, is Jaws, which is my all-time favorite film. The other is Back to the Future, which I understand is pretty much your favorite film, correct? Correct. Okay. What would you do if if Universal announced next week that they are going to be remaking Back to the Future? Would you just sit idly by and wait to see what would happen? Or would you, using the platform that you have, express your disdain for the idea? I mean, I would, uh, I think I would express disdain. Um, but again, I don't know that I would call for a, a, a boycott um, or become outraged. You know, it's it's one of those things where... The fact that they haven't yet remade either of those two movies and don't think that there haven't been many conversations <laughs> about it. Um, you know, it's Back to the Future, they can't right now while Zemeckis is alive. Correct. Or they, are un, they are unable to, um, which is why we just need to preserve him forever. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure, you know, they're going to want to. And I, I think I'll just feel sad more than anything, not angry, because, again, I'll always have the original. The remake will take nothing away. And Back to the Future also has two sequels that I think are lesser, as does Jaws. Jaws has three sequels. You know, if Jaws 4 didn't ruin Jaws, a remake of Jaws probably won't either. <laughs> but it just it makes you feel sad at the lack of respect for the property and at the dearth of creativity that – we really have nothing else. We have to just remake Jaws. Why not just make a movie about a shark and write a script for it and call it something else? You know, take the idea, whatever, but like, just don't call it Jaws. Just don't be so nakedly obvious that you want to cash in on a brand that, by the way, wouldn't necessarily mean anything, I don't think, to young, you know, the young people that they think they're trying to attract by releasing a movie called Jaws don't necessarily have the same relationship to Jaws or Back to the Future that you and I have. So it's it's a cynical move that also kind of blows up in their face, you know, and it just it just creates ill will towards that studio. Well, you know, one of my favorite action movies ever is Point Break. I was I'm sorry, I was just about to say case in point point break. So we're on the point same break. page here. So okay. And that, you know, and I was just bummed out when they said we're remaking Point Break, A, because they already did and it was called The Fast and the Furious, and B, because just just leave it alone. Just make another movie about cops and robbers and whatever. And I saw the trailers and I thought it just looked terrible and I never once even really thought about going to see it. I was at a Redbox the other night. It was there. It's a dollar. I was like, no, still not going to do it. Um, And it just went away. It just quietly disappeared. And 
10, 15 years from now, it might be kind of a footnote where people are like, wait, didn't they remake that? But for the most part, it's the original one that will live on in whatever capacity it will live on. You know, that movie has kind of an ironic uh, fan base as well as a legitimate fan base. But, you know, when these remakes are garbage and most of the times they are, they fade into obscurity. But every once in a while, again, as a horror fan, some of my favorite horror films ever are remakes. So I can't just as a blanket statement say no remakes, no more ever, because then we wouldn't have The Thing or The Fly or The Blob or uh, Alex Aja's The Hills Have Eyes or even Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, which I'm not saying I like it as much as the original, but I think those are all good movies um, that we would have lost if we just said, you know, no remakes. Um, Well, well, here's here's, here's thinking, and maybe I'm just thinking out loud here, that perhaps... And I, you know, I don't wish anybody, I don't wish any film to not be. I mean, I don't. I want films to be successful. I want people. There's thousands of people that are involved in in the production of these big films, and you know, there a lot of hard work goes into them. But perhaps if this new Ghostbusters film doesn't meet expectations, which it's currently trending, doesn't look like it's going to. Maybe studios might take take a step back on their biggest IPs, i.e., the Back to the Futures and things like that, and say, you know what. Maybe that's not the best idea. So here's kind of hoping that maybe the Ghostbusters film isn't successful. Well, Ghostbusters maybe isn't the best example for that because my fear, and I suspect I'm right, is that if Ghostbusters underperforms or does not succeed, the lesson that Sony takes away will not be, hey, maybe we shouldn't remake Uh, the most beloved films in our library. I think the lesson they'll take away is, oh, audiences didn't want to see a special effects comedy with an all-female cast. I think too often it's easy to point to some other scapegoat and say, oh, it's because of this thing, not, hey, we made a wrong call. You know, like uh, recently... AMC announced, hey, we're thinking about uh, allowing texting in theaters. And there was such an enormous pushback that I think within a day or two, the CEO of AMC came out and said, you know, hey, it was something we were thinking about. Obviously, you guys are not into the idea. So we have no plans to allow texting in theaters right now. So there's one instance where it does restore some hope in the system where people have a voice. They use that voice and a big corporation responded. I don't see it happen as often in movies. You know, um, I think about, you know, the Expendables franchise where Expendables 2 underperforms. So Stallone says, well, it was the R rating. And then Expendables 3 comes out and, well, it was the PG-13 rating. Well, it's because it was pirated. And any of these things are valid, particularly piracy. But there's always something that they'll point to instead of just saying, maybe we shouldn't have done that. And then they'll always have examples like Jurassic World to say, yeah, this is why we should do this. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, so. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate your, your insight on that. I really do. Now, I want to do something a little bit fun here. I have a, a, just, a, just a quick four movies I want you to rank. Okay, now this one has been specifically picked for you. Okay, oh boy. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and, and this was not in the the email I sent you, so this is completely <laughs> off the cuff. I want you to rank these four these four movies from your your favorite to your least favorite. Okay, all right, all, all right. right. Pump up the volume. Heather's, Gleaming the Cube, and Cuffs. 
<laughs> All right. Now, are we are, okay? How are we basing this? Is uh, this your, on, this is your personal your personal Patrick's? Like, re- I think this is the best of, movie, of, or yeah, like, uh, no, no, no. I, of these four movies, how would you rank them? As far as which one would you be like? Yes, absolutely, want to watch this one right now. These other ones, I can wait. Okay. As much as I love cuffs, which has become its own meme on this movie, yes. um, I'm going to go. Number one, Heathers. Okay. Number two, Pump Up the Volume. Number three, Cuffs. And fourth, Gleaming the Cube. Absolutely. So there's a bit, just a bit of a Christian Slater trend there. And what, what's he up to these days? He's on uh, that Mr. Robot show that I hear is great and have not watched. I can tell you. I can tell you that I... Just the title alone just did not in- interest me. And then somebody said, no, you really need to watch the show. Just watch the first episode, and I watched the first episode, and I can actually tell you that even for a pilot episode, it was surprisingly good, and I, then I forgot about it and haven't watched an episode <laughs> since then because I don't have any time in my schedule to binge watch Mr. Robot right now. So that's, that's just me. All right, listen, Patrick, I, I really, really want to thank you for, for taking some time out of your schedule to, uh, to just talk a little bit about the show that I absolutely love. And it was, I've, I've said it before on, on my show, it was uh, one of the main inspirations for me wanting to start a podcast was listening to your show on a weekly basis. And I, I enjoy every episode that you've done. I, I wish you would do a few more commentary tracks because I really, really like those ones. I love Revenge of the Ninja, and that was a great commentary track. And, and I have to ask you, how was that doing a solo commentary track? That was weird and uncomfortable, um, and I didn't prepare enough for that one. Okay. Like That was an instance where we needed a show for Wednesday, and... I, you know, nobody else was available. And so I was like, well, I either skip a week. And at that point, I don't think I'd ever missed a week. Um, or I have this other idea where, you know, I can record this commentary, but I wasn't, I wasn't familiar enough with the movie. I wasn't, uh, I just, I don't, I felt underprepared and I've done a few of those solo commentaries and, uh, I'm a pretty self-deprecating person, but I feel like I've gotten better with each one the most recent one i did was for the fun house and it helps that i really love that movie and know it really well and so i was able to talk my way through that whole thing whereas revenge of the ninja it's a lot of like gaps and just me narrating what's happening on screen but i do love that movie and that that was one of the reasons why when i saw that comment when i saw it pop up revenge of the ninja i mean that is one of those that was a that was a sacred vhs tape that my brother and I had back back in the late 80s, early 90s. That was one that my parents would never let us watch, but it was well hidden in our room. And then when they weren't around, we would watch Revenge of the Ninja, because Shokasugi, I loved, absolutely love that movie. And I, I, and I'm, I know I'm getting off topic here, but I really like the commentary track that you guys did for Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. I, oh, I, I, I watched along, not in 3D, I didn't have the 3D version, but I watched along, so... I'm sorry. I should have. I should have brought this up when we were talking about the actual the podcast. But, uh, but no, that's okay. Those are fun. You know, every October we kind of kick off with a uh, with a commentary track, and those are obviously a lot more jokey. You know, we don't yeah. provide a ton of substance in those. But yeah, I thought it would be funny if we watched the movie in 3D, knowing that nobody at home was probably watching exactly. it in it's- 3D. So we just scream every time something comes out of the screen. But it worked. It worked. I had. I had. Th- I feel like I had it synced up perfectly. So it. So it worked. And uh, uh, just. Like I said, I, I know I say I wish you make more uh, commentary tracks, but I, I'm happy with everything that you do. Believe me, it's. Do it's, you it's do awesome. you have a specific movie that you wish we would do a commentary for? 
because uh, you have been so great to us and so supportive that I feel like I should just make that happen. So, so let me let me because I, I I don't want to answer right on the spot right now because I'll get I'll get off the line with you and be like, oh, I should have said this. <laughs> let me let me chew it over for like a like a day and I'll I'll, I'll certainly email you one. I'll uh, email email you an answer. That would be amazing, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that that, that would be awesome. So, for those who want to sort of reach out follow your show on all the different social media platforms. Where can they find you? Sure. Uh, well, we have our website. It's at uh, fthismovie.net. Uh, and we're on Facebook and Stitcher. Uh, we have a Twitter. It's just at fthismovie. Um, I'm on Twitter, just at Patrick Bromley. Um, we have an Instagram that I don't think we use very much. We have an email address, fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com, where we take suggestions for shows. We do our best to try to knock some of those out sometimes. Um, we get suggestions where I'm just like, oh, there's not a, you know, just because you like that movie, there's not a, uh, there's not a show there, you know? Right. Um, and I, I usually know pretty quickly, like, ah, oh, yeah, no, there's no show there. So I feel bad because I, I don't want those people to feel like they're, they're gone. They're I mean, going unheard. You won't, you won't do a show on the second Fast and Furious film. So. <laughs> I maybe could do one on Too Fast, Too Furious. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and um, actually, if I could, we have a, a thing coming up that I haven't announced on our site yet. Sure. But if I could announce it, uh, this, is an ex- this is exclusive, and this is going to be live. Ex- this will be live tomorrow night. Should I wait? Should we wait to? Should I wait to post this? No, what? that's no. fine because okay. you 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 reach a, a larger audience than we do, I believe. So this is good because so. it's been great. You know, when you came on, and I think early on you had said, "Yeah, you guys, you know, were one of the the reasons why I started my own podcast." And then just to watch you eclipse us <laughs> in in listenership, it's like we're the coyote running, and all of a sudden the roadrunner just blows past us. Um, so there's uh, there's a thing that I that we're doing. So we have June exploitation coming up. And then we're doing something new on July 9th. Um, I have, we have a, how do I describe this? Okay, so um, several of us are friends with a family, and this family recently lost um, their daughter, sister. Um, she had breast cancer and fought it very bravely for a couple of years and, and just recently passed away. Um, and was very vocal about um, what she was going through. And they were just, you know, it's one of these families. They're just completely incredible. And the, the, the woman who passed away is completely incredible. And I was at her memorial service, which was held at the high school where she taught. And there were thousands of people there um, getting up, telling stories about how she touched their lives. And I was so moved by it and just thought, well, I don't know. I don't know how to help, you know, what can I do? Uh, and I realized, okay, well, I have this platform, um, this podcast, you know, whatever. And I, I don't necessarily know how I will, um, raise money with this, but I came up with the idea and I'm not the first to come up with the idea of doing a podcast, a thon to raise money for, um, her charity, Alexis charity, which is called the Magnolia tree foundation. Um, so July 9th, the plan is, and I'm still working through a lot of the details, but I figure if I talk about it on your show, on your show, um, maybe we'll get some people to tune in who wouldn't have found us otherwise. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to be podcasting for about 18 hours on 
July 9th. Um, we're going to start at, I think, about 8 a.m. Central Time and go till about 2 a.m. Uh, Central Time. And my plan is to just kind of rotate in uh, guests in and out. And uh, you obviously don't have to answer this right now, but you were one of the people that I was going to hit you up and see uh, if you wanted to come on and do an hour with me. Sure. What what day of the week is July? Uh, it's a Saturday. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can I can work something out. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we'll work something out. That's, that's yeah, no problem. I'm going to try to generate a like, kind of a schedule. But um, so July 9th to raise money for the Magnolia Tree Foundation, we're going to be podcasting for 18 hours and uh, just setting up, you know, um, again, I haven't worked through all the details, whether it's uh, a GoFundMe or, you know, one of those pages where people can donate, where everything's very visible. Um, and obviously all of the proceeds will go to the Magnolia Tree Foundation. And so that's something new. I'm still kind of working on some of the back end stuff to make sure that I can pull it off technology wise but i think i've got it figured out how to do it um and i'm just really hoping that that people will tune in and uh and donate to what i think is a really good cause uh a really worthy cause so well that's you, something that we're you you you, ha- you have 100 percent uh my support as far as i will uh of course this this episode will go live tomorrow night um we get you get you get the sort of the website, everything, the GoFundMe page, you get all of that up and going. I will make sure that I tweet out daily about that. I mean, of course, I'd love to come on the show. That's, that's absolutely, I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. But just know that you've got the, the full backing of how is this movie as far as getting the word out about this podcast-a-thon. And whatever I can do to help you out, by, by all means, it'd it be an honor. That's so awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. So, so Patrick, thanks for being on How Is This Movie? That's thank you for having me. This was a ton of fun. Uh, absolutely. So you'll have we'll have to do this again sometime, and then uh, we'll we'll get into a more topic specific, maybe a couple different movies, you know, to talk about or something like that. I'd, like I said, I'd love to have you back on the show sometime. This is gonna this is gonna be really random. What I'm about to say, but will you please tell JB thank you for pointing out the grammatical error that was on my website? So <laughs> I will. <laughs> he he uh, he sent me a message. He said he was looking at my website, howisthismovie.net, and um, I didn't even realize it, but I had an introduction to what the show is about, and uh, it said Chaplin to Tarantino, and I spelled Chaplin wrong, <laughs> and and he sent me, he sent me a message to uh, to basically explain that that was blasphemy, that I had I wrote back, not really mortified that I had spelled Chaplin wrong, but like, is this the JB from F this movie? And he, he wrote me back, yes. I said, oh, my God, I'm a big fan of yours. I, you know, I really like it when you're on the show. Oh, thanks for pointing that out. It's corrected. So, but I was, I was more like, did, did JB from F This Movie just write me and tell me that I have Chaplin spelt wrong on my show? Oh. To be fair, there's a, a signal that goes up in the sky any time uh, there's an error made in regards to any form of silent cinema, and he's, he's, he's on it quickly. So. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of him on, on your show, so please tell him that I corrected the error. And that, and that if he would ever love, I, I would love to extend the invitation to him if he would ever love to, to come on the show and, and talk movies because I, I really like his insight on a lot of things too. So, so, with, so with that being said, everybody, thank you for listening to How Is This Movie? And uh, that's all. <laughs>